people want to believe. We just tell each other, just read the Bible. But what happens when it isn't so easy to understand? This is No God. You were listening to the No God podcast. I'm Micah here today again with my mom and my dad, Sandy and Tony. Hey, Micah. Micah, great to be here with you. <laughs> How are you guys doing today? Good. Good. Just um, at, at this time of year, moving toward March. And so by the time this podcast is actually live, it will be March. And it's like, I always feel like that March is when we've left winter. And then it comes and grabs you again. It can, but not nearly with the bite that mm-hmm. it has in Hopefully. January or February. That's true. And how about you, Mom? I was just, I'm just enjoying the sunshine. Nice. Sunshining, that's great. And how about you, Micah? What have you been up to? Um. Oh, I did a polar plunge yesterday, speaking oh, of winter. Oh, yes, we watched that. <laughs> Raising money for the Special Olympics. Ice available? Ice around? Yes, there was plenty of ice. It so, was... 30 degrees? Yeah, 30. I think Something so. like that. Yeah. And as we've discussed before, but the water wasn't colder than 30 degrees. That's true because then it would be frozen. Yes. And they, so they cut a hole in the ice and we walk in and we walk back out. Yep. And some went under. Michael went under. Mm-hmm. Yep. As, and th- why did you do this? Uh, well, I just said it. We were raising money for the Special Olympics. Yeah. It's their big fundraiser for the year. So it's a cool thing. Lots of people involved. A very, yes. A very cool thing. Yeah. <laughs> very cold. cool, cold. I, mean, yes, I had fun. double layers on of stuff in my yes. gloves, and I was thinking, oh, my goodness, I'm freezing. <laughs> and they're going in there and getting wet. So nope. you're not, you're not going to join us next Never. year? Never. Okay. No, we found Never. our role as photographers yes. quite rewarding. Yes, you did, yes. A, you did a great job. <laughs> we did. Um, and then other than that, my third novel was released. Yes, Yay. it was. Yes, very, so I'm excited very about good. That. Ventures of Henry Pets. Yep. Number three. Mm-hmm. So it feels really good to have that done. And it is. Yes. It's remarkable. And really, it's like, you know, buy the trilogy now. It's mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. yeah, just jump in if you think you might like it. And and I'm not a fiction guy, as my family knows. <laughs> I make myself read a fiction book a year, minimum. And often I barely make that goal. But Micah's fictions are a lot of fun because I love mysteries and whodunits. Yep, yep. So it's a lot of fun. I think one of my favorite descriptions I've heard is someone called them whimsical. Whimsical. Uh-huh. I write cool. whimsical murder mysteries. Whimsical. <laughs> so if you really just need something to relax with. Read a nice murder. But anyway, yeah, we well written. I know that we're just your parents. So it's like, yeah, people go, yeah, whatever. Parents reviewing their sons. <laughs> yes, right. But, but your mother and I, Sandy and I have watched... Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours of murder mysteries. Yes. And I've read Gobbs. Yes. And so... Yes. And actually, that's... A lot of this. these books are because the genre is so entrenched in me from the BBC murder mysteries that we all watched as a family growing up. It's just... It feels natural. <laughs> that's right. And so anyway, it's cool. It's amazing. It is. Anyway. I have no transition from that. So what is today's? Well, it, in, in this year, um, kind of leading into this year, just the path that I've been doing in my own studies and just thinking and re- interactions with people. You know, I, last podcast, we talked about mindfulness. And as we were, as I was preparing for that podcast, and then as we wrapped it up and got it ready to go for, um, to be accessible, to be live, I just realized this is a big topic, and actually in Western culture, and so let's just even narrow it down more to in the United States, mm-hmm. mindfulness is a ever 
nearly everybody's hearing about mindfulness at some point or another. They It might be like people who go, yeah, whatever, my mother is into mindfulness things now. You know, They don't do it themselves, but they know someone who is. And so I just got to thinking about that. And so that kind of pushed me to read a lot broader on the mm-hmm. topic, all the way from its roots. It's the, the current um, interest in it and the current exposure to it in coming from the tradition of primarily Buddhism and then it being uh, processed into all of these ways of counseling and leadership training in organizations and in uh, personal peace. And so we started that podcast and uh, I just thought, well, there's a lot to say here. And this one is not podcast light, but this one will be a little bit more in just talking about why people will try it out. Mm -hmm. What makes a person say, okay, this mindfulness thing, maybe that would help me. What's going on in their lives that they think it might solve? Okay. Mm-hmm. And so as I was doing some research, both just talking to people, but also then reading a lot of articles and some books, um, I came up with a list, more than 15 reasons that people, personal motivations of why I might try out mindfulness, and then how some people stick with the practice of mindfulness. So I guess, are we ready to jump in? All right, let's that? do it. Yeah. Okay. So as I was thinking about that, a lot of people are drawn into mindfulness. So this is reason number one. I'm not going to count them all off like one to 10 or whatever. But the first reason that it really came to my mind is a lot of people are drawn to mindfulness through the desperation of their own anxiety. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, they have uh, anxiety attacks. And so often it is a counselor that will then move them into some type of mindfulness or centering practice. And I know mm-hmm. that can be called both things. And there are, you know, we could get really, people could get really uh, uh, specific about the, the definitions here. But I think that for what we're, what we want to just address with, with each other is these words all kind of travel together. Mindfulness, being, having centering um, practices, um, even all the way to a fidget spinner right. type thing mm-hmm. is a center, can be a centering thing. And so that's the that's kind of the one that came to my mind. And because I read in the last year that the number one mental health issue in America is anxiety. Wow. And so then I thought, well, I'll bet that more and more people are getting exposed to mindfulness, let alone the fact that there are I I, I there are lots of apps now that are by people who have developed some mindfulness practices that they have then, you know, gone into the app system and a person can subscribe to an app and get mindfulness practices. And so the anxiety that would drive a person to do that, the hope on the other side of that is that a mind, mindfulness practices will alleviate, dissipate, or even eventually lay to rest anxiety issues in a person. Okay. So that's one. Yeah. So there's lots more. So another one would be, this is a little bit different, but some people use mindfulness practices as a way to get a competitive edge in the marketplace. Interesting. I have not thought of that. Well, because mindfulness is about about removing the clutter in your mind and removing, um, again, removing is, might be too strong of a word, but dissipating, uh, vaporizing, the things that distract a person from their center focus. And so think of an entrepreneur who needs to really put a lot of 
clear focus day by day by day by day to get a new business to where it's actually functioning and actually providing a service that they want to be providing. Right, right. And so they need a way to sustain daily focus. And so some, so there are business gurus. I, that's a, that, that gets used, but there are people who do this kind of business training, business leadership training, entrepreneurship that would say, well, you need to do some mindfulness practices. Yeah. So that would be a reason. Another reason is people are just looking for some peace and stability in key relationships in their life. And they, that person has possibly come to the point where they realize some of my behaviors or some of my thinking is derailing my relationships. Right. So they're not doing mindfulness to change the other person. They're doing mindfulness to get their junk organized right. or you know whatever get the, get the clutter of their relational skills uh done and so um that's another reason another reason that people might be practicing mindfulness is to actually deal with actual physical pain mm. and emotional or physical suffering right and it could be also emotional pain so those kind of blend together but in other words where i'm going to have i have this chronic pain thing going on and i need a way to um cope mm -hmm. and so mindfulness is at its core and again the first mindful practice that's taught at least in uh Thich Nhat Hanh's book mm -hmm. you are here which is his kind of introduction to mindfulness that he wrote a long time ago he passed as we said in the last podcast he passed away at the end of or at the beginning of 2022 what we can do is Mindfulness is about thinking about something like, and breathing is the first mindfulness exercise. And so, and you say what you're doing. So, I, I breathe in. in. I breathe out. Yes. And so it's a very simple, and so you are focusing on those words rather than any other thoughts running through your head like, oh man, my back is killing me. <laughs> Instead, you're saying, I breathe in. I breathe out. And that's a mindfulness exercise. And I know some people go, oh my gosh, that sounds like uh, uh, monotony. Yeah. It works. Right. So just think, I mean, somebody that's listening to the podcast, if you grew up in a religious tradition, in a, in a Christian tradition mm. that had ritual mm. or had ritualized prayers, um, for some people, those become a mindfulness practice. Right. Be mm -hmm. That's, but... The trick about ritual is, and it's the same thing about mindfulness practices, is you can be so, uh, it's, a, it's a habit that you've memorized, and you can actually be doing it, and then your mind is still drifting right. going away. Going somewhere else, right. You have to be present in the ritual. Yes, you have to be present in the ritual or in the mantra. You have to be thinking about the words and what, what you're, saying, you're yeah. doing with those words. Right. Yeah, because I've done that with scriptures that I've memorized, you know, that help me to get my anxiety or whatever's going on. Mm -hmm. Of course, I've got to remember them. <laughs> right. But you're focusing on following the words. The words, yeah. yes. Not tuning them out. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a mindfulness. So that dealing with pain and suffering. Another one is... To prepare for death. Hmm. In other words, a person knows that their death is coming and they're, 
whatever, have fear is a normal uh, response, anxiety, mm-hmm. um, whatever. And so then it can also create, depends on the person's life habits and, you know, composition they may that that may trigger some compulsive obsessive compulsive type things that maybe they thought they had laid to rest and so again mindfulness would be how can i be in the moment and not let the fear of the future what that seems like then derail everything that's that's dear to me Mm -hmm. and so a person might practice mindfulness as they are know that their death is coming and i'm talking about maybe death in years from now or maybe death in a very near time, um, they use a mindfulness practice so that they can stay in the moment and not jump ahead fearing the moment of their death. Right. Instead, they just stay in the moment. Hmm. So that's another reason. Um, I've kind of already alluded to it, but I'll just go ahead and say it. Buddhist practice mindfulness to be one in reality. And I'm not even going to try to define that right now. Okay. Because that that could be a very interesting maybe podcast of itself or maybe a blog post or something that I might write. All right. Um, another one is to train oneself for just a lifetime of happiness. Mm-hmm. Just the practice of, in other words, getting rid of the clutter that, that, re, that stands in the way of just feeling good about life and being happy and embracing the happiness that comes rather than focusing on the negativity. So it's related to, I do it to, to cope with pain, but it also can be, I'm doing this just to get, be the best version of myself enjoying life that I can be. Mm-hmm. And so they use uh, mindfulness practices. Again, to kind of an aside here, most people who do mindfulness practices on a regular daily basis spend anywhere from 10, well, even less, just a few moments, few minutes, to longer times. But the little bit of the reading that I did, it seems like to me that most people that are doing it daily in the United States, not related to a religious ritual, seems to be anywhere from 10 to 30 minutes. Okay. And so Christian people who are used to a daily devotional or quiet time, it's comparable right. to the amount of time that a person might have been in the habit of doing like that. I would, I would suggest that some Christians would practice mindfulness as a way to grow in a holiness of life. Mm. So that's a lifestyle thing. Some Christians, this is another thing that came to my mind, some Christians would be doing it to, as they seek to know God. Right. And so by a mindfulness practice, they're removing distractions so that God can actually, that they can experience God with for themselves, right. within themselves, for themselves. And be present in that. Yes. And not putting any expectations of what that looks like. Just doing mindfulness, practicing mindfulness, and being open to what, how that reveals our connection to God. Yeah. So it's not about just stop trying to make yourself stop thinking. Just don't think about anything. That is that is, is that how mindfulness is practices, okay. practiced in some situations and in by some people. But I'm saying that in, a, in the Western culture, in America, when people talk about mindfulness, any of these things yeah. could be where they're coming from on it. 
Which then you go, wow, that's a huge variety of right. reasons that people might do mindfulness. So let's keep going. So yeah. uh, this is in my list. I don't know if I've already said this number or not, but this is the 10th one that I have in my list. Some practice um, mindfulness daily to discover an inner peace and serenity. Hmm. Yeah. That's, it overlaps with some of the other reasons that we said, but that, but the more specific that a person knows why they're practicing mindfulness sets them in a position that they'd be more likely to continue mm-hmm. practicing mindfulness in a regular fashion, in a regular uh, routine. Next one is people want to relieve stress. So they, they do mindfulness to relieve stress so that they can regain physical or mental health. So it's like giving, it's like, it's like immersing yourself in hot water, like a, like yeah. a hot tub, just to make your body relax and to help the normal body functions to remove, um, to deal with inflammation issues mm-hmm. or to deal with uh, pain. And so the mindfulness becomes like a sauna in a in a mental or a yeah, um, yeah. psychological sense. It's not so much that I expect that what I'm doing, I don't have to come up with a creative scent to put in my water every time I do a sauna. Right. And so the same way, I don't have to come up with a creative thing to do in my mindfulness time to let it have its full effect. Right. It can be very routine and very repetitive. Okay. And I know some people are going, well, then I don't want to do it. <laughs> what I'm saying is that there's a lot of different ways that people do this. And one of them is just to accept that it can be very repetitive and still be beneficial. Nice. The well, same. It's, yeah, it's going to be different for different personalities. One person needs one of those that you've talked about, mm-hmm. but the others wouldn't work. Right. Right. Or even just yeah. seasons of life mm-hmm. for the that's, same person. That's true. Yeah. Good point. So here's another one. Some people will practice mindfulness to gain a simple awareness or realization, awareness, realization of the existence of things around us. That sounds very vague. But in other words, what am I missing out on in this universe, Mm -hmm. both visible and invisible? Stop and smell the roses. Yeah, right. Because if you don't, you always just walk by and see the roses. And unless it's a super fragrant rose... You're not going to notice the fragrance. And then all of a sudden you just pause long enough and, oh, Mm -hmm. wow, they have a fragrance. Now, I'm saying something that sounds silly, but how many other things in life do we do that we're missing the facets of it Mm -hmm. because we're just, we experienced it in a certain way and that's how we always experience it. Yeah. It's like, let's just say like with a pet, let's say with a dog, a person goes, oh, that dog is beautiful. They only experience it visually mm-hmm. they never touch the dog right they never feel the fur they never feel the you know the the softness of um the fur and also then the the moistness of a lick from a dog i mean I, you know just I'm, you can tell that he's not exactly fond of dogs by the no and I, I should probably have micah give the facets <laughs> of enjoying a dog because not only does he have a dog now but he also enjoyed the pet dogs that we had as mm-hmm. kid. Again, I don't know if people need to know this about me, but 
I grew up on a farm with hundreds of animals around me all the time, and I experienced them in a lot of ways that people don't experience their pets either, I just would say. <laughs> but more as a as a caregiver. Utility. Utility, caregiver, person concerned to um, do the best for this creature. And I never... I never found companionship as an aspect of animals. Tony always looked at animals as a work thing. They had they had work to do. They, they had work to on do on the farm, and I had to support them in order for them to do their work. I mean, not support them financially per se, <laughs> but I mean to to put them in the best position to accomplish what they're supposed to do. Yeah. Right. And there it is. But that's not the only reason to have a pet, is it? Or to have no. an animal. Because yep. there's the pet side. Mm-hmm. And so, again, think of this metaphor. Just think of that experience in human experience. So transfer this over to mindfulness. Mindfulness can enlarge a person's experience of their life in ways that they didn't realize was mm-hmm. even possible. Yeah. Because they have taken the time to, as a, as a mindfulness practice, to become, to be open to the awareness of that stuff. Mm. Nice. I I don't know if this is connected, so you can tell me. But mm-hmm. um, I went to college in Malibu, California. Yep. Looked over the ocean. Beautiful right. view, all that kind of stuff. I remember, like, after a while, you just like, take it for granted. But a few years after I'd been there, I just kind of remembered, like, or just had the realization of, I'm probably never going to have an ocean view walk to work or something in the future. I won't have the ocean right outside my window. Um, so I decided to be very cognizant, cog- what's that word I'm trying yeah, to say? Yeah, cognizant. Of it. Uh-huh. And just all of, all of it. So, you know, the smell of the ocean, the, the fragrance of the flowers, um, they were called Latana, beautiful smelling okay, flower. cool. Um, that, that came with it. Um, just like the feel of the air, cause it's Salt water makes the air just feel very different. And just mm-hmm. try to pay attention to that every time I was walking out of my either dorm room or apartment, depending on what year it was. And I think that has helped of not having that what it, longing regret that it's gone. Okay. I, I lived it as I, – I really feel like I lived it as much as I could. Yeah, as fully as you could. Yes. That's fully – living fully is yes. a mindfulness word. Like I, I refuse to let – that atmosphere become routine mm-hmm. and just enjoy it and let it soak over me. And I, I do miss it, but it's not like a, a regret of, oh man, I really wish I could go back there. As if something was incomplete. Right. Great. Uh, I like that. And I think as if someone's listening to the podcast, they may be thinking, oh, okay, so now I kind of get why I might want to do some mindfulness exercises because it's going to, you know, because some people will say, I don't have any anxieties, or, yeah. you know, nothing that's, that seems to be a, a burden to me. Yeah. And so then to think about living life more in the moment and more fully. Yeah. Yeah. So you can just see like what you were just describing. So mindfulness practice, and we'll, we'll do this in other episodes. Uh, we'll touch, we'll make sure we get there. But you were actually describing if you just did your five senses mm-hmm. with the ocean, you have five different mindfulness practices to do in the same environment right like five days of the week one day you're going to just focus on the smell yeah so forth Hmm. i mean that's the thing about mindfulness that's really 
very flexible and very um, adaptable to people is that you can do the five the five traditional physical senses, let alone then moving into emotional yeah. um, connections to those things. That's good. Yeah. So anyway, those are reasons. We're going to keep going here a little bit more. Um, uh, some people want mindfulness. They they want to become more spontaneous, and so they do mindfulness, and they even there are some some te- there's some uh, methodologies of mindfulness in more spontaneous ways. Right. But and yours is a little bit spontaneous. I mean that 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 example. But mindfulness can spontaneously lead to insight and intuition and inspiration and creativity. So it's like um, kind of being mindful of looking for the moments when you can do something new and exciting well i think that would be true but it's all i think that in this particular case what i was thinking of is just in a mindfulness practice that some people who have the desire to who creatively express themselves Mm -hmm. like whether it's in writing painting any other form music and so then they come out of their mindfulness practices and maybe not necessarily like every time they get done with mindfulness, all of a sudden there's the inspiration, but that the practice of mindfulness, okay. then all of a sudden inspiration is going to burst out of them in some right um, moment. Yes. Okay. That then carries them for either a short time or a long time. That makes sense now. Hmm. Yeah. So a lot of people who are who are innovative and creative, trying to do something new or trying to, you know, like, mm-hmm. I mean, I've, I've, I've read, a, I've read some poetry recently, just trying to, cause I don't, I've never really been super drawn to poetry. I mean, I guess I shouldn't say that too. That's strongly. a shock. <laughs> but to look at how a person does that, I just go, you know, most of those stories of poetry is not the grinded out 30 verses of poetry. It is, like they're when they've got themselves at kind mm-hmm. of peace with what's going on. Yeah. Or even an awareness, not even necessarily a peace, because sometimes mindfulness brings an awareness of of anxiety. And that anxiety then bursts out into yeah. a creative torrent. Or an awareness of grief or loneliness. Yes. So Yeah. As a as a writer I can definitely relate to that yeah. of that having practices that you do to get ready for the writing. Yes. Yeah. And I have um, practices that I do that help me to be ready for it when I have done public speaking, preaching, mm-hmm. or even preparing for a podcast. Cause I write some talking points for these podcasts. And then I, there's a inside of my self, mm-hmm. I'm not going to say just my brain. Then all of a sudden I realize something's unsettled it doesn't it's not feel it's not where i i feel like it's gonna be what it needs to be Mm -hmm. and then to just not try to fix it but to do mindfulness exercises and then and for me most of the moments of clarity come sometime during the night Hmm. sometimes i wake up during the night and sometimes i go i'm not sure i'm going to remember this in the morning so i better get up and of course now I can walk into the other room and just do a voice memo on my phone. I don't have to turn on a light. Yeah. You know, so there's different methods. But I do that. And sometimes it is, honestly, that I just happen, 
sometimes that's when I'm waking up at the normal wake up time that I have, or sometimes it's like an earlier time and I go, I'm just going to get, I'm, I'm going to make sure that I just follow this through. And so by earlier, that's like 2 a.m. for you? Well, not anymore. <laughs> not anymore. There was a time that was true. But uh, in this season of my life, it, it tends to be more like when I used to just wake up. So, tangent. Yeah. Thinking of baseball, could the sort of habitual routine that someone does when they get up to bat be looked at as mindfulness? Like the planning feet certain way, swing a certain number of times, that kind of stuff. It could be if it is, and this is because I don't follow baseball closely, mm-hmm. but I'm thinking what well, could be if that person is bringing themselves to an in-the-moment kind of experience. Right, like feeling the dirt. Yes, feeling the dirt, feeling the back. Feeling their muscles, the movement that it makes. Yes, and not worrying about which pitch am I going to get. Right. Not something in the future even in 30 seconds in the future. Just but centering just themselves in the moment. In the right now. This is this is what I'm holding. This is where I'm standing. This is what I see. Yes. In fact, in that, for some people, they're going to go, oh, wow, I can, I can kind of see where, um, you know, think of the farmer mm-hmm. standing out in a uh, field that's beginning, you know, that let's say it's corn and it's like four feet tall and the farmer just standing out there for example, just touching, yeah, you know, and of course they wouldn't be making it look, I mean, Not Nebraska farmers wouldn't be making it look dramatic. <laughs> They'd be standing there in the midst of corn with their hands or fingertips touching some stalks. Yeah. And that could become a very mindful moment. Mm-hmm. It could be a moment of anxiety. Oh, I hope it doesn't hail tomorrow. Right. That would not be a mindful moment. But a mindful moment would be, this is amazing. I can mm-hmm. almost feel the corn growing. Yeah. And there's farmers who claim, well, I'm not going to put a bunch of them in the bucket. I've known of a couple of farmers who claim that you can stand out like in July, August, in a cornfield in particular. And if you stand there for a couple of minutes, you can actually hear the corn growing. Actually, what they're hearing is, it is a snapping kind of sound that they interpret, and they may be right, they interpret as the corn actually growing. Interesting, but that's a that's a mindfulness experience. Yeah, listening to the corn grow, <laughs> watching paint dry, watching paint dry. I've actually done that with my paintings. <laughs> True. Yes. Wow. But this is the amazing thing about mindfulness: is that you know, there's one kind of. Some people approach it as, oh, I need somebody to teach me how to do mindfulness. Well, and there probably is some value in going to a some type of moment or a person that's going to help you, like because like yoga classes, exercise classes. And now there are so many things that people do uh-huh. that used to be kind of more like, well, this is just something to do. They now have incorporated some mindfulness practices in them. And I'm thinking of fitness centers and stuff. They do a, they do a lot mm-hmm. of mindfulness stuff. Yeah. Let's wrap up just one more or a couple more things here. Okay. Um, so that's the, that's a, you know, mindfulness that leads into some spontaneous insights and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So now some see mindfulness and the meditation associated with it. So now, because mindfulness can be without any verbal meditation going through the brain, mm-hmm. although that is very difficult to do. Most of us need something verbally to be 
running through our brains so that it keeps all the other verbal right. things out of our brains. Even if it is just the, I'm breathing in, yes. I'm breathing out. Yeah, and actually either saying it aloud or actually thinking it. And I did read somebody, and I kind of, I really see the value of this. There are some who say you actually need to be saying it out loud. Yeah. To, and we'll get to that in just a moment. Okay. Let me just kind of say that. So for some, for some people, mindfulness then and the meditation associated with it is actually an avenue to living longer. So their motivation is, I want to live to be 100. <laughs> I, I use that number randomly. <laughs> <laughs> and so they, you know, the being in the moment right now doesn't guarantee that that person's going to live any number of years. Right. But they do it because they know that medically and research speaking nowadays, we realize that the less anxiety... And the more that we're aware of ourselves, our, our own bodies, mm -hmm. what's going on in our bodies, increases the likelihood of a longer life. Right. So some people are motivated by health, basically, that, that aspect, longer life. Uh, some people, another one, and I kind of, this is kind of almost, I've got two more, but they kind of lump together. Okay. But here we go. Some people try to want to do mindfulness to quiet the roommate in their head. I think I understand, but please explain. Well, I gathered this from a book called The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer. So I'm, this is not original with me. Okay. But he talks about that everybody has a narrator in their head. I Once you that. get old enough, and that's I that, that was where I was going, and I actually... I uh, haven't read enough of the book to know if he answers this. But when does the narrator start? Because when we're born, our brains are not, well, there's no evidence yet that our brains are processing something verbally and that we are repeating the verbal stuff within our own brain. Right. So what, it doesn't start till they talk, well, baby, but, but they, toddler starts talking? But think people or? don't, people, children hear the words and are processing it before they ever are able to say it back in the in mimic. And that's just like that's an area of research that I have no idea where that is right now. Hmm. But let's just move ahead to go, right. well, we all know that there comes a point in our lives where we have a narrator in our brain. Oh, in, yeah. Inside of ourselves. And mindfulness can not necessarily immediately retrain the narrator in the brain but mindfulness separates that narrator from the moment and separates the narrator from our own identity and singer in his book suggests and in fact he affirms that suggests he's a neuro, neuroscientist he suggests that the narrator actually does not represent how we feel about ourselves our narrator is telling us how we think other people think of us hmm hmm it is not, this is what I think about myself, and this is the narration in my brain. The narrator in my brain, my roommate, is kind of beyond my control only because I'm thinking it's saying what an actual outside person would say to me. And he has research that he thinks supports that. But nonetheless, we don't even have to worry about whether his research is accurate. Uh -huh. The concept that we have this ongoing message system going on in our brains when we're awake and probably probably when we're asleep. but still when we're awake and that 
at times we are thinking that that's us telling ourselves what to do when it's actually our expectation of what someone else would expect of us. Right. That's the narrator in our brain, the mm. roommate. And I, and like I say, I've not read much of his book yet and I'm going, oh my goodness, this is an interesting, interesting concept. Not necessarily proven just because he says it, but right. it could have a lot of validity. Nonetheless, mindfulness helps us by, and, and he suggests, and I read it someplace else too, that by speaking out loud what our meditation is, we are doing a stronger act to quiet the narrator in the brain. Right. To kind of supersede it because the spoken word is more powerful the, than the thought. Mm -hmm. The spoken and it's coming back into our own ears. Now right. that's assuming that we have hearing. Right. So that's a reason to do mindfulness is to quiet the roommate in our brain. And then related to that, but not the exact same. Some people do mindfulness to attain self-knowledge. Know thyself. Mm -hmm. And I've heard of that phrase, know thyself. And, and I said, I've got to look this up. So I, I Googled and I went into Wikipedia and I go, oh, wow. This is like some of those, uh, like that one movie. I did not think that word means what you think it means. <laughs> if anybody recognizes that Princess line. <laughs> know thyself has been a phrase that has been kind of like um, captured and used for a lot of different things. And honestly, it's even difficult to know who actually said it first. It is an ancient saying. Mm hmm and of course, we know of the Greek philosophers, Plato, Aristotle, Socrates. Socrates is often the one that it's attributed to, but it even super, it precedes him. And then since then, people have done it. And of course, then most people, well, many people up until now, it's a phrase out of one of the plays of Shakespeare. Right. And so then that's where it often is thrown about. So to kind of uh, lay all that stuff, it's interesting, but it is... Mindfulness as a practice to have the examined life. Right. And I am doing some self-examination. And when I teach and have for years, decades, a quiet time, daily quiet times, it includes a self-examination stage in the process. Yeah. Would you theorize, maybe that's the right word, that maybe David did a lot of mindfulness and those are his psalms wow i didn't really plan on this segue but uh we'll jump to it because <laughs> i i got to thinking about that and so psalm 131 out of the niv um i'm gonna read it's only it's a psalm that has i just i just have three verses in front of me okay my heart is not proud lord so this is a prayer so not technically mindfulness it's like i'm talking to god my eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. And that's beginning to sound like a reason to be mindful is that I keep blowing my mind with thinking about things that I can't get my head around. Right. Okay. And so then that, and so then he says, verse two, but instead of letting my mind just go crazy doing that, he says, I have calmed and quieted myself like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child, I am content. Hmm. And I think you could even say centered. Yeah. And so I, you, 
David in Psalm 1, the 131st Psalm, he, he describes a mindfulness moment. Yeah. Hmm. And then, so then you can just go, well, anybody listening can just start reading some Psalms. Now, there's some Psalms that are going to be like struggles to find that. Right. But like, then there's the pair, the, the part one, part two Psalms that is Psalm 42 and 43. They're actually like one Psalm that got mm -hmm. split in half as they use them in the, in the Hebrew songbook. Right. So it's not like Christians did this. It's, it's ancient. And so they did it as a kind of like, here's the first one. Then here's our kind of like our, our, uh, take a breath and kind of wrap this up kind mm -hmm. of Psalm 43. And so there's a lot of repetition in that, but it has, and I'm not going to read the whole thing, but just kind of throw that out there to people who are listening. Uh, verse one, as the deer, and I'm reading out the new American standard Bible. So okay. a little more literal, uh, translation. As the beer, as the beer, <laughs> as the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. Well, that right there could be a meditation mm -hmm. itself, but it goes on. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. It's giving a reason that I'm coming to this mindfulness, mindfulness moment. When shall I come and appear before God? So again, it's like, how can I get centered here? And then he goes on a lot of things about the struggles in his life and all that kind of things. Um, but then verse five, why are you in despair, my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Again, that's not mindfulness per se, but it's the thing that's pushing him to a mindfulness moment. Yeah, it's naming the anxiety. Yes, yeah, naming. Mindful yes. of what it is, yeah. Yeah. And so right on the tail of that, David puts... Hope in God, for I shall again praise him. That almost sounds like a mantra. I mean, I'm not going to say that David did it as a mantra, but it be, can become that for me. I can just go, okay, in the midst of all this craziness, I could just use this as a meditation focus. Hope in God, for I shall praise him again. Hmm. So yes, to answer your question, David... I, I I pictured, and we know that David was a shepherd as a kid and mm -hmm. as a teenager, and he would have had lots of time alone. It does, the, the biblical record in 1 Samuel tells us that David was tending those flocks by himself because his yeah. other brothers were too important to be messing around with tending to sheep, and he was the youngest one in the family. And so it probably was a, a progression of the oldest had done it, the next one did it, the next one did it, and finally he's the last one. And that's <laughs> when we pick up the story of that family. And so David, though, it impacts him differently. The yeah. experience of being a shepherd, that solitude, the time being in the moment with the sheep and the land and the air and the rain and all that kind of stuff. Somehow it does seem by reading his Psalms that David was able to do what we nowadays call centering and mindfulness. Hmm. And just because he doesn't call it that doesn't mean that's not what was happening. Nice. So he was in the moment with that. So um, let's kind of just pause here. For, let me just kind of wrap this up a little bit with these, this other thought. Okay. Um, we mentioned the last episode, and I have used this, this psalm a lot, but it's David's psalm, Psalm 46, one line out of it. Verse 10, it says, Be still and know that I am God. And I think that the mindfulness is a very clear practice for those who want to experience God and to know God. I think that's a new thing. 
that also then, be still and know that I'm God, is also one of the ways that we begin to alleviate the anxieties. We begin to quiet the voice in our head. Um, we find ways to do that. And in future, in a, in, I'm not going to say the next podcast because I'm not sure what order we're doing all these in. But we are going to give a lot more examples of mindfulness practices. Kind of like, because we've talked about it's a thing. Mm-hmm. And now we've talked about why people are motivated to do it. Right. And I hope that even in this short podcast where we're just giving you a lot of different reasons that people do it. One of those reasons probably landed on, a, on uh, your heart. And we've even given you kind of some glimpses of ways that you could get started with it now. Right, right. And we want to give you more resources in the future. If you have any questions, just email us at nogod at tonykafka.com. That's K-N-O-W-G-O-D at T-O-N-Y-K-A-F-K-A dot com. Mm-hmm.